We have been studying the subject of predestination, and I'm going to continue in that today. And uh, I want to just take a moment here and refer to what we've already looked at. And I've got some interesting things to show you. We're going to do a sort of a part two here uh, to, today in this subject. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with us to Romans uh, chapter 8 and uh, verse 28, 828. And uh, this is where we were. Romans is sort of where we have been springing off from in our studies here. And uh, in this 28th verse, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Notice the word them here is a plural pronoun here. Uh, verse 29, look very closely at this. For whom he did foreknow, that's them that he's speaking of here, he also did predestinate and to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, them whom, whom he did predestinate, them, notice here the plurality of these words, them, not him, but them. He also called and whom he called them, he also justified them, he also glorified. And all through this passage of scripture starting in verse 28 right on down through the rest of this chapter the word we and us and them referring to the body of Christ and and right on down through and I won't take the time to read all of, of it to show you that but the plural pronoun involved here implies that it is a collective group it is not individuals so the word here speaks in Romans here of the word predestination this is found two places in the Bible. It's found here in Romans. It's also found in the book of Ephesians. We'll turn there in just a moment. But uh, it's speaking of the predestination here, not of individuals, but of the collective group of Christians called the church, the Gentile church specifically. The reason being that Paul, writing to both the Romans and also to the Ephesians later on, was trying to somehow another combat this spirit among some Christian Jews who were who were apostolic baptized Jesus name filled with the Holy Ghost, but they wanted the the Gentiles to come and go the way of the, of the Jewish customs. In other words, start following Jewish customs, live like the Jews live, so forth. And he kept saying, "No, you don't have to do that. It's all in Jesus Christ." And now in this portion of the scriptures. He emphasizes that we are not attack on. I talked to you about that last week and the week before about the, uh, the, the word here, uh, adoption. The word adoption does not mean we are adopted to the family of Israel. It means we are adopted into the spiritual or heavenly family of God. Now, what the Lord begins to do here is that he talks about the church being foreordained, preordained of God so that we're not attack on. And this is what he tries to tell the Gentile church. You haven't been an added thought with God. It's not like the Jews fail. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I think I'll raise up the Gentiles. It's not that at all. Paul it emphasizes that before the foundation or from the foundation of the world, God had already planned that there would be a Gentile church. And so what's foreordained is not you and me as individuals in the church. 
but the church itself has been foreordained of the Lord. And this is what he talks about in these scriptures here. So if you'll, if for, us, for an additional verse, look over in Ephesians. Now, we've already looked at this, and this is what uh, we talked about last week some. And I won't, I'm just going to just highlight it here a little bit today. And then I'm going to move on into what we're going to be looking at here this morning. But uh, this is what we, we're looking at here. If you still got your outline with you there, that's fine. If you don't, I don't have any others to give you today. Not on this one. Uh, let me show if I can blow it up a little bit. And uh, sort of push it up like this. All right. And this is what we're looking at right now. And if you look at the uh, at Ephesians here for just a moment, it says here, if you look in Ephesians 1, 1, 1, 5, rather, having predestined us unto the adoption of children of, by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And then it goes on to talk about the predestination of the church itself. Then finally down to verse 11, I'm saving time here by jumping on down. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined, we here being the church, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things according to the counsel of his good will. So what we're looking at here is some of these scriptures here that lets us know that God had predestined the church from way in from the beginning. And we refer to the, the plural pronoun factor that's brought out here in Ephesians chapter 1 just as well. Having predestined us unto the adoption. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And it goes on to say all the way right on down uh, through most of this. Well, down to verse 14 at least, it has the plural pronoun, meaning that it's the collective group of God's people that it has been predestined. Which means, folks, stay in the church and you'll go to heaven. It's predestined. I'm not predestined to go to heaven. I can show you scripture on that in just a moment. You aren't. In other words, it's not a guaranteed thing that I'm going to make it unless I stay in the church. Now, stay in the church doesn't mean the building. But it means in the body of Christ and in truth and staying in the family of God. So it's very important that we abide in the faith. Praise the Lord. Uh, let me move on a little bit further here. This, But I'm showing you the plurality here, these pronouns. Uh, in part four here, if I can refer to this very quickly, I'm just highlighting a few things here. In part four here, I want you to look at this for a very moment. Scripture that proves it's God's will that all men be saved. In other words, if predestination, which was a, which was a doctrine presented by John Calvin in 1536, John Calvin was a, is a, was a Reformation uh, religious leader. And uh, he, he came across this because he knew Latin and he could read the Bible in Latin and so forth. He studied and learned all that. Then he began to read these scriptures and he said, well, we, we're predestined. So he believed in the doctrine of predestination of individuals. Doctrine of in, uh, predestination. Martin Luther who on the other hand was the founder of the Lutheran church. John Calvin was the founder of the Presbyterian church. They were like sister organizations, both Protestants, both uh, had their differences with the Catholic church. But Luther would not buy into this thing about being predestined from the foundation of the world. He wouldn't do that. And uh, so he, he said, no, I, 
I'm not going there with that. I, that's not me. But uh, Calvin became very fanatic almost on this, that you're born to be saved, you're born to be lost, there's nothing else you can do about it. And, of course, what Luther and many other denominations pointed out, if that's the case, then why should there even be missionaries? And he, Jesus said, go in all the world and preach the gospel. Why? Because if you're born to be saved, you're born to be lost, it doesn't make any difference. And he said, well, you do it because you obey the commandments. And it was, it was that kind of a thing. So I'm just telling you here what happened in, along in church history here. Uh, there was a, this was called Calvinism, incidentally. Predestination was called Calvinism and still is to this day. The main bodies of believers that we are familiar with that follow this doctrine is the Presbyterian Church, who believe that we are predestined to be saved law, or the Baptist Church, which believes that once saved, always saved. If you're saved, you won't be lost. You can't be lost. I'm going to show you scriptures that conflict with that also right there in a few minutes. But I'm just pointing out to you here this. There was another, uh, there was another a, uh, theologian who came along a little bit later on called Jacobus, Jacobus uh, Arminius. And he was a Dutchman from, from Holland. And uh, he had gone to the university, had studied, he had become a professor at this university, and eventually became the president of the university. Very brilliant man, very intelligent man. And he presented what was called Armenianism. Armenianism is simply the belief that we have a free will. Men can choose what they would like to choose. So when these, these denominations begin to develop, when they begin to sort of come together what they believed and so forth, Many of them adopted Calvinistic views. Some of them adopted Armenian views. For instance, the Methodist Church, the Wesley brothers, Charles Wesley, John Wesley, George Whitfield. When they began to preach the gospel and all these people began to get saved, eventually they established what was called the Methodist Church. Methodist means holiness, incidentally. And they began to, they believed in holiness. They were both, they were all three Oxford students who had graduated from Oxford Seminary and gone out and preached the gospel. And people started getting saved and repenting of their sins. And they said anybody can get saved. So they adopted what was called Armenianism. So the Methodist uh, denomination followed with that. The Pentecostals along the way, with the help of the Holy Spirit to guide and help them, uh, they adopted as well this Armenian doctrine. There were some who were Calvinistic, but after much consideration, they realized that it was Armenianism, which is just another name. It's named after Jacobus Armenius. Uh, that you have a free will. And so the Calvinist says, if God knows the beginning, the end from the beginning and the beginning to the end, how, then he knows how, how you're going to wind up. And so how can there be a free will? Well, let me just say it this way. This is the way we think. God can know the end from the beginning and still do things his own way. Praise the Lord. And because we are not God, we don't think as great as God God's mind and thoughts are so much greater than ours. If you ever wonder about how great man's thinking is and how great his ingenuity is, remember, man's mind is like a drop of water in an ocean compared to the knowledge of God. So that's, I leave it there. But let me give you some other scriptures. And the reason that I'm even dealing with this is because uh, I've said that there is no conflict in the word of God. There's no conflict. The Bible does not contradict itself. And so if we say that uh, all men will be saved or are lost, uh, look at 1 Timothy 2.4 for just a moment. I'm trying to give you some, some, uh, some, some understanding behind what we're seeing here. 
And I'm going to add a little something to this scripture here while we're there. Look at 2.4. Who will have all men to be saved. And I said this last week to you, put a ring around the word all. Who will have all men to be saved. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, if it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the good and truth, then we cannot be, we cannot be predestined to be lost. You see what I'm saying? If it's God's will that all men be saved. Uh, let me throw this in for free. I do that occasionally. Look at the first verse in chapter 2. Amen. I'm not getting political here. I'm talking Bible, okay? You say, Brother Myers is speaking from the Bible here. He's not talking politically. Look at this. I exhort, therefore, verse 1, 2, 1, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All men. The reason that all men can be saved. I mean, everybody can be saved. Anyone can be saved. Look at this, too, now. For kings... And for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Praise the Lord. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So the Bible is saying here, pray for our kings, our leaders, our rulers, our presidents, our governors, our senators, our congressmen, our Police department, our fire department, pray for them. Praise the Lord. You say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. Forget it. Pray for them because it's for us that if they do good and if they do well and they succeed, it's for us that the benefit comes forth. You say, Brother Martin, you think I'm going to pray for Donald Trump? Hey, the Bible says it. I'm not saying it. That's what the Bible says. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Say, the Bible says it. Uh, you say, Brother Meyer, well, that's just a little old place you found it about. No, look at, look at Romans 13, 1. I'll just add to that. I don't, let's see if I can find that myself. Romans 13, 1. Look at this. I just happen to know it's there. I'm just throwing this in for free, folks. Everybody with me on that? Look at 13, 1. 1 down through 7. Let every soul be subject unto the higher, higher powers. Higher powers is, is whoever is running the country or the state or the county or the city or whatever. For there is no power but of God. In other words, what power they have, God has allowed them to have it. Okay. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whoa. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. In other words, evil is what fears rulers. Uh, rulers. Wilt thou then be uh, not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. That is, the powers will praise you. For he, that is, whoever he is, the mayor, the governor, the president, the leaders, whatever it is. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, 
a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Don't do it just because you don't want to be, you don't want to receive the wrath of, of the governments, of the government, like stealing or you want to be a burglar, but you say, you know what, I'll get thrown in jail. No, no, you do it because of conscience sake, all of that. You don't hurt nobody. You don't go against the word. Of, you don't go against the law. Verse six, for this cause, pay ye tribute also. <laughs> Everybody say taxes. <laughs> I didn't say it. It's in the book. Okay. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you anything here. This is for this cause, pay ye tribute also for they are God's ministers attend, attending continuing attendingly upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. All right, so I'm going to leave it there. I just thought I'd throw it out. This is all just like I said for free. But I just want to tell you here today that God wants us to be very mindful, praise the Lord, of these things that God has established. So God is his will. Let me get back to this subject here that I read to you here in 1 Timothy two and four, who would have all men to be saved and to come to. Let me give you one other verse of scripture on that. And that's one that's found in Ephesians. Uh, I mean, second Peter, second Peter three, nine. Uh, if you'll turn over there with us for a moment, let me read this to you. And I'm following this verse. I'm following these scriptures here. Here, God will have all men to be saved. And uh, First Peter, First Second Peter three nine right here is where we are. And it says simply, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody see that? And then I've got another scripture in there that's also found in uh, Acts seventeen twenty five. I won't have you read there twenty five twenty seven thirty. I won't read that, but it's simply where Paul was on Mars Hill and he was preaching and he said, God once winked at iniquity, but now calleth all men everywhere unto repentance. In other words, if God's calling all men unto repentance, it's his will. And if it's his will that all be saved, then the Lord doesn't have some people predestined to be lost and some people can be saved and there's nothing they do about it. It doesn't happen that way. And so these are scriptures here that refute that. Now, on top of that, for those who would say, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't be lost. Let me give you some scriptures on that. And that's in that number five here. And I'm moving on down very quickly here because I want to get to my, my uh, second part of my lesson here today. This is five. And these are scriptures here that says that anybody can be lost. Look, while you're there in uh, Second Peter, look at Second Peter 2.20. You're right, man. Two, you're in chapter three. Go back to chapter two and look at verse 20. Second Peter two twenty. And I do appreciate our people up here that keep up with me on these scriptures. God bless you for doing that. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of God, this is talking about Christians now, they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. In other words, you can be lost. In other words, if you're saved and sitting here in this church today and you say, well, I'm, I've been baptized in Jesus and I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. 
repent of my sins. Therefore, I am saved, once saved, always saved. I can't ever be lost. No, no, you can't be. And that's what the scripture is saying. Look at the next verse, 21. For it had been better for them had they have never known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Verse 22, and this is referring here, and I'm sorry to read this before lunch here today. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And this is, this is as true as a day is long. Any of you that's got dogs know that dogs will do that. And, and if you know anything about pigs, you can clean them up and get them just as clean as you want to get them, but they'll go right back to that old mud hole and wallow in that stuff and everything. And that's what this is saying. Praise the Lord. And just like that will happen, so people who do not keep this in their hearts, praise the Lord, will go back to the world and back into those things that they were in, and they'll be a, in a mess just like they were beforehand. So I'm just trying to say here, folks, walk with God, serve the Lord. God doesn't want you to fail. Every one of us need to be in touch with, with uh, somebody in the church. When you get saved, establish some friends. And you people that are in the church that are God's people. And let me say this. This is a wonderful church. This is a wonderful congregation. I, I say this to everybody. I tell everybody that. Sometime my, my wife and I talk about what a wonderful congregation is. What a wonderful group of people you are. And I mean that from the depth of my heart. I'm not being flattering here. But you are a great, wonderful body of people. And sometimes we need to look around and see who needs maybe our friendship. Or they need to know somebody cares about what they're going through. And uh, some of our people are very quiet about it. But they go through some things. Some people are brand new. They haven't really established really friendships in the church. And we need to sort of reach out to them and help them. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So that's uh, something that we just want to leave with you here. Uh, this is a scripture found in Second Peter here. Romans eleven twenty one. I'll read this verse as well to you. I know uh, you're probably getting tired of all of these scripture readings. But I'm trying to establish the fact that we absolutely need to know that anybody can be lost and that we need to walk with God and stay saved ourselves. Uh, this is the one on Mars Hill. I won't go into detail on that, but it says here in verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Praise the Lord. And uh, anybody can be lost. We talked about that. And uh, I won't go into more details. It's recorded in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and Revelations 2, 4, and 5, Revelations 3, and 5, and Revelations 3, 15, that, that seven churches of Asia, the Lord says, walk with God and hold fast to the faith, or I'll pluck you out of your candlestick out of his holder, or I'll erase, take your name out of the Lamb's Book of Life. And that brings us down to the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody ready for this? Look over in Revelations, if you would, with me. Revelations chapter 17. Revelation 17, 8. And I've got some good things to give you here now. This is talking about the Antichrist, the first part of this verse. This is a long verse. And the latter part is where I'm going. But the first part is about the Antichrist and about those who follow the Antichrist. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. 
when they beheld the beast that was and was not and yet is. Wait a minute, Brother Myers. I thought you said our names are not written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. If it's written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world, that means we're going to be saved no matter what happens. Is that what it's saying? Look real close at that verse. Look at that part, that part of that verse. Which hath the seven heads. Now look it down here. And shall ascend. That, I'm, I'm too far up. Down further yet still. Whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It's not our names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It is the book of life that's from the foundation of the world. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But the book, but from the foundation of the world is the book. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't. Look at it real close. It says here, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not. This is speaking about those who have followed the Antichrist. They'll be lost. And they, and, uh, they were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It's the book of life that is from the foundation of the world. In other words, God has had a book of life. And when you get saved, your name is written in the book of life. It's written in the book of life. I mean, I could go back and show you way back in the Old Testament where there was a book of life. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life in the New Testament because we're saved through the blood of the shedding of Jesus Christ. Well, let me give you a verse of scripture here to sort of give you some, put some meat in it. Uh, you're there in Revelations. Go back to Revelations 3 for just a moment. Let me show you something. Go back to Revelations 3. It's not our names written in the book of life from the foundation world. It is the book of life. Our names are written in that book of life. And the book of life is from the foundation of the world. Look at, uh, look at uh, Revelations 3 and 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. So if God says I'll not blot out his name, that means he can blot it out. So when you get saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you walk with God for a season and decide you want to go back out in the world and live for the devil, your name's blotted out. That's the way I understand it. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I don't know. I know this is a little complicated for you, but I'm trying to show you here that it's not our names written from the foundation of the world. It's the book of life that our name is written in. That is from the foundation of the world. Okay. I won't go any further than that. I'll leave it right there. But I, by simply pointing out here to you that these things are uh, speaking of predestination. And we're showing you that it's predestination of the church and not predestination of individuals. Now, I want to do a part two here. And this is uh, understanding the doctrine of predestination part two. We got some handouts for you here. Everybody get this. I'm going to show you some other things here that are mentioned in the scriptures. All right? Praise God. Now, last week we handed you what I was just, I just had on the board up here, which is part one. If you kept that when this ad, this one's number two goes to it, with it. And uh, this is 
some wonderful things that are mentioned in here. I want to bring out some. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Romans 9. Romans 9. We've been in Romans 8, now we go to Romans 9. This is the next chapter in Romans. And when Paul was writing about this so-called predestination of the church, he's emphasizing also that God is sovereign and he has a right to do whatever he wants to do. You know, so that if the Gentile, so that the Jewish Christians say, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't, we, we Jews are first. No, 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 God can do what he wants to do. So here's what, here's an example that he uses here. Sometimes this example is misunderstood. I'm going to make it real clear for you. I'm going to show you in the Bible. Folks, it's all in the Bible. If I don't show you in the Bible, forget it. But it's in the Bible. That's why I show you scriptures to back things up. So we're having you turn with us to Romans 9, 10. And this is the first thing that you'll see on your, your, lit, your page there. Right here. Romans 9, 10 through 13. I'm going to read these verses to you. Look at verse 10, 9, 10. Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, that which was Isaac, even our father Isaac, it says it. For the children being not yet born, this is Esau and I, Esau and Jacob were twins. They were twins. And just to give you a little story there, just before the birth, Jacob's hand came out. I think, I think is the right way it says it. And then the hand went back in and then Esau was born. Well, when you have twins, the first one born out of the two, even though they're twins, one's born by, behind the other one, the, uh, the first one is the firstborn, and he has special rights. Here is the rights of the firstborn. He gets two parts against everybody else's one part. For instance, if you've got 12 sons, and you want to give each one of them one-twelfth of your inheritance, of the, the, the inheritance, you divide it into 13 parts, and the oldest son gets two parts, and the rest of them get one part. If you've got five sons, you divide it into six parts. The oldest gets, gets two parts. You understand what I'm saying? That's the rights of the elder. That's the, the elder's rights. So if you've got twins, and this is what Rebecca and Isaac had, that when Esau and Jacob, the oldest one got two, and the other one got one. So he actually got twice as much as the other one. And this was the inheritance that he was to get. But this is what happened. This is strange. Look at this. And it says here, verse 11, For the children not yet being born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, this is unto Rebekah, The elder shall serve the younger. Meaning the, young, the, the younger will be greater than the elder. She'll serve the younger. Now she knew that. Uh, and then it goes on to say in verse 13, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And the predestinations will see from birth, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau from birth. 
because they're talking about it here at their birth or at the conception or just at the conception. And when you go back over in Genesis and you read this, let me, let me just read this verse of scripture to you here. When you go back in Genesis and you actually read what happens here, what happened was that there was a conflict going inside her room and she asked God what was going on. And here's what the Lord says here in chapters uh, 25 of Genesis and verse 23, 25, 23 of Genesis. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. The two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels and the one people shall be stronger than the other and the elder shall serve the younger. Now notice that was all that was said by the Lord. That was all that was said by the Lord. And so that's recorded down through verse 12, back in over in Romans, Romans 9, 12. And it is said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. And that's, that was what was said to Rebekah. That's why Rebekah told Jacob, go get a lamb and fix it up and I'll make it so that your father will give you the birthright. She knew he was to get the birthright. She knew that, even though J- uh, Isaac didn't know it. She knew that. So she wasn't really plotting against the family. She was doing what she knew was going to be the will of God and the purpose of God. I won't go any further into that. That's a study within itself. But uh, Esau lost out and missed out on it. But anyhow, the last 13th verse here, now look at this closely. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. That's put right in here in the book of Romans as though it was also said by God, but it wasn't. That verse comes from Malachi. And if you look at Malachi, that's the last book in the Old Testament. In other words, that is like uh, 1,500 years after, uh, after Jacob and Esau were born. This is what it says here in, in Malachi. So if you turn with us to Malachi for just a moment here. Let me find it myself. Yeah, let me find it. All right, Malachi 1.1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste. Now, why did he say that? Because he's talking about the nation of Israel or Jacob and the nation of Esau, which was Edom. He's talking about the nation here, not the individuals at birth. So he repeats this here in Malachi 1, 1, uh, the burden of Israel. And then he says, and then he says, in verse three, and I hated Esau. This is talking about the nation of Esau. And I laid his mountains and inherited waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Look at verse four, whereas Edom Edom is Esau, whereas Edom saith, we are, impov- we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down and they shall call them the borders of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. This is talking about the Edomites who are Esau. Now you say, Brother Myers, how do I know that Esau is the Edomites? I'm looking at Genesis 36. You don't have to turn that. I'll read it real quick to you. 36.1. Now, these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. This is, this is Genesis 36.1. 36.8. Thus d- dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. 
Esau is Edom. The ninth verse. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites. Verse 19. These are the sons of Esau, who is Edom. So I'm just pointing out to you here that when you speak of Esau, you're speaking of the nation or the people or the tribe that is called Edom. And the Edomites were the ones that God did not like. Now, what happened was that when Israel was judged by God and he sent the Babylonians in to conquer Israel because they had become very wicked, the Edomites took advantage of their brother, Jacob, in his calamities and they, they, they sort of captivated off of that. They, they sort of got behind the others and they were sort of vicious and mean about it. This is all recorded in the book of Obadiah because Obadiah is the prophet who prophesied against the Edomites for their wickedness against Jacob, what, he, what they did. I'm reading from, Edom, uh, from Obadiah and I'm reading chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. Verse 3. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the cliffs of the rock whose habitation is high. I'm going to show you this in a moment. I've got some pictures here I'm going to give you. It saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself, this verse 4, thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Verse 8, shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom, Edom and understanding out of the Mount of Esau? Uh, then goes on to say in verse 9, Thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that, of, that every one of the Mount Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. And he goes on to say how that whenever, in verse 11, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, that is Jacob's forces, that is Israel, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem. Even thou wast as one of them. That is one of those Babylonians. And he went on to say, thou should have been a friend to your brother. Uh, he went on to say here in verse 12, I'm, I'm trying to save time in reading here. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Verse 13, thou shouldest not have entered into the gates of thy people in the day of their calamity. And he goes on to say, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. And finally down in verse 19, and they of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau. In other words, I'm going to take you out and take away the land that I have given you. And whenever he did, there was another people that took the land that Esau or the Edomites possessed. They were called Edomians as well. Esau, Edom, Edomians, the same thing. And there were the Nabataeans who came in after them and took the land. Now, where was this place that was high in the mountains? That, and these people that were Edomites, uh, Esau, I should say, that were Esau, they were atheists. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe in anything. They, were not, they did not fear no nation. The reason was because of the security of their place. And they were the people, I'm going to give this, put this up here where you can see it. They were the people of what we know of as Petra. This is a picture of the, of the city. You're familiar with this because Indiana and the Lost, Lost Ark used this place 
to show, you know, a, a, a movie that they made. If you, how many, did anybody ever see that years ago? Indiana and the Lost Ark. And this is supposed to have been the place where it was shown. I'm going to show you some pictures in here because this was a valley that's in the most rugged terrain. I've been there and I can tell you for a fact it's very rugged. In that rugged terrain and there is a narrow passageway, folks, there's no wider than this aisle here that goes for probably 200 yards back in there to this valley. And this, this narrow passage widens a little bit and narrows as it goes, you know, as you go through it. At one place, I'm going to show you where it's so narrow that you've got to duck down to even get on through it. And they could hold off an army of soldiers because nobody could come through there. And then you came out into this vast valley in the background. And it's called Petra. Petra's in southern Jordan. This is, again, a picture here of this, uh, what's called the National Monu uh, Monument here. Now, I'm going to show you some pictures here that is very interesting here concerning this. And uh, let me see if I can get it right here. Hang on a second. If you look at this picture right here, this one right here, if you can see it, there's a person walking right here. Can you see my finger? You can't hardly see it, but there's a person walking right here. But this is that passage that goes up, is cut up through the stone. See it cut up all the way up like that? It's a narrow passage. And that's the only way you can get through it, is through that narrow passage back into that valley. This is another uh, picture of it here. I want to put it on an angle. If you see this car, a little cart right here, a little golf cart looking thing. And here is that narrow passage cut up. See it all the way up here. This is daylight up here. You, under, you see what I'm talking about? And you walk through that narrow passage to get back into this valley that's back in there. And uh, when you get in there, when you walk out, you see this big monument right here. And you can see the people down here. See the people? This shows you how big this is. This is huge. And it shows you here the people. You can see the people there. There's somebody standing over there. And uh, there's some, I think, some sheep or something right in here. But I'm showing you this just to show you here that this thing was something that, that Edomites lived. And they were very proud of it. And nobody could get to them. And nobody could touch them. And they were happy about it. Here's another picture showing you here of this big monument here and these people down in here. They look like little fleas almost compared to the size of it. I'm just pointing out here how mammoth this was once you, once you got through it. And uh, I'm just trying to give you, where is that one that's got that narrow passage? I wanted to show you that. Uh, I don't know. Oh, here it is. See right here? This is one part of that passage you walk through to get back to it. That's one of the most narrow places there is. Anyhow, when you finally get into it, you get out into this valley that it shows here, like this. This valley. And, and then finally, I'm going to give you a picture here. This was where the Edomites lived. This is the valley here. And they lived all up in there, and nobody could get to them. Now, they didn't have airplanes, helicopters, or balloons, or nothing else. So the only way you get to it is to go through that narrow passage. And most armies said, forget it. 
<laughs> they, they ain't worth messing with. And they became a very proud people, very arrogant, very high-minded. And uh, until God said, because of the way you treated Jacob, because of everything, I hate you for that. And therefore, I am going to judge you. And whenever he did, he took away, praise the Lord, their right. And the, the, it, the, uh, the, the people that came in behind them were the Nabataeans. The Nabataeans were another tribe of people who took over. And they were the ones who built all of that big edifice in the, in the rock and stuff like that. It was not Esau that did that. It was them. So what I'm trying to do here, folks, is just show you here, praise the Lord, that that scripture where it talks about uh, Esau have I uh, hated and Jacob have loved was not something that happened at birth. Everybody understand what I'm saying here? But it's talking to them about a nation. And it appears over in the last book of the Old Testament where the Lord talks about it. And he talked about it because they were a people who did not treat God's people well. Don't you love God? Don't you love the word of the Lord and the truth? Let's stand together and give God the praise and the glory. And let's thank him right now for his great truth.